Welcome to the Organizing Ideas Podcast. I'm Allison. And I'm Karen, and we are two new librarians and archivists and your hosts for this podcast. Together, we're taking a closer look at the relationships between organizing information and community organizing, how libraries and archives are never neutral, and what we mean when we say that knowledge is power. We are recording today on the unceded and ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. For now, we don't have a guest. We're going to start by just doing some introduction about our upcoming season and this episode itself. Yeah, we already released um, an episode in late August, and that was with Sierra King on Black women, artists, archives, and Black futurity. Um, so check that out. That was episode 27, um, and it was on her um, exhibition, Here, There, Everywhere. That's right now on exhibition from August to September at Mint Gallery in Atlanta, Georgia. That was a really neat conversation. It was great. She's done such interesting work with um, lots of different individual, like personal archives. And um, yeah, has some really interesting stuff to share. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like uh, when we think about like glam, like gallery, libraries, archives, museums, um, I think her work is really interesting, I guess, in that glam aspect. Mm hmm. Today's episode is going to be all about back to school, applying to library school. What's all that about? Um, we get actually kind of a lot of questions from really cool people who are thinking about going to library school or um, studying for a like archival program. And uh, this is our opportunity to share some wisdom, not only from us, but from other people too, about that process, what that's like. So we're going to get to that in a few minutes after we tell you a bit more about the other episodes we have coming up. In late September and early October, we're going to be releasing an episode on police and libraries. It's going to be a two-parter because it is quite long, but it was a really interesting conversation with Stacey Collins. Yeah, it, it's a fascinating conversation. Stacey Collins has done a lot of work around anti-oppression, children's literature, all kinds of stuff, and you're going to find it fascinating. I guarantee it. <laughs> and it leads really well into the following one, which is about anti-fascist librarianship with Lena Gluck, who is founder of the Anti-Fascist Library Network. I hope I got that uh, phrase right, but you'll hear it in the episode anyways. Super um, cool. Super cool. Yeah, really interesting work and really breaks down what is fascism, how does it relate to libraries, and then in November, we're going to be talking with a classmate of ours, uh, Clara Jimenez Delgado, who's a master's student at the University of British Columbia. And this was on her project uh, processing uh, photo lantern slides at the Museum of Anthropology. And she was reflecting on this project for an assignment. And uh, she talked a lot about witnessing and reconsidering an emotion and affect and kind of the harm that sometimes can result from just kind of following standards and, you know, doing what you're told. And it was a really interesting conversation about reflection on our processes because we kind of don't always have time to reflect. Yeah, it's, it's great. And it's a great example, too, of a student who reached out to us with some stuff to share that they had worked on, which was really cool and really interesting. 
So if you're listening and you're, you know, headed into library school uh, and you do something that you're excited about and want to talk about, let us know because we want to chat about it with you. So after that, we have a couple of episodes we haven't recorded yet, but we are planning to. We are planning to speak in a couple of weeks from now when we're recording this with Baharak Yousafi. And we're going to talk about feminist librarianship, um, library management, possibly her PhD studies. And I promise you it's going to be fantastic. She is awesome, really interesting, um, insightful person. So looking forward to that conversation a lot. And then afterwards in, um, I guess we'll do this in mid-late November, but the episode will be released in early November. Uh, we're going to be talking with two guests that we had uh, early on in the podcast, uh, Ted Lee and Ian Henninger. And in that ep- episode, um, I think it was episode three, we talked about precarious labor. Um, and so this is going to be for the keynote presentation for the Keeping It Real. Uh, Real stands for Research and Academic Libraries, I believe, uh, for that conference, which is online this year on knowledge mobilization. So we'll be talking, revisiting uh, this discussion on uh, precarious labor, which will be really interesting, I think. Definitely. And it's so relevant right now, all the layoffs that have happened this year with COVID. I think precarity is very top of mind for a lot of people. And uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how it relates to knowledge mobilization and both in terms of how Ted and Ian mobilize the research they do about precarious work to organize people. And also in terms of how being in precarious positions might create unique challenges for knowledge mobilization. So it's going to be super interesting. And if you are listening to this, when we release it, you probably have time still to go sign up and come to the conference live and if you do we're figuring out how people might be able to ask questions and engage a bit so that will be new exciting and a lot of fun and we'd love to have you there with us Mm -hmm. and then finally to wrap up the year I think we'll do something that we did last year which was like a recap of the year which I'm sure will probably be an even more interesting 2020 um, and some reading highlights and what we might look forward to in 2021 Yeah. So as you can tell from listening to this intro, we have planned out our fall. We have pre-recorded episodes. We have mostly Karen really has been editing um, fantastically. And Sam and Victoria have been transcribing. So we're hoping this will make releasing the podcast a little bit smoother and easier for us as it's going. So we're not scrambling to get everything ready to go. And we'll start thinking about what might be next. So we always love getting ideas for topics and things to talk about. And we look forward to hearing what you think as these roll out throughout the fall. We're going to play some voice clips that we got from some folks about library and archive school, whether you're returning or thinking about it. I was doing online reference over the summer, and one of the questions that I got was from a student who was in a library tech program, and they were curious about like what it was like being a librarian and the job market. And I was like, well, it's terrible not good and I didn't have very many positive things to say about you know the current job market and also library school so I did direct them to the UBC 
the program at UBC and the student association there. And I think they got a lot of emails forwarded their way. So I think it'll be really helpful for others to kind of have a compilation of some people's thoughts so that they're not just getting like my very pessimistic outlook. <laughs> I don't think you're alone. It's pretty grim <laughs> in oh, terms of getting me. jobs. And it's much worse now with COVID and everything. I think it's a really, really tough time. Like yeah. I graduated here and a bit ago now and I'm in a contract that's going to end at the end of December. I don't know what's going to happen after that. Most of the people that I know we graduated with are in auxiliary positions or temporary positions or no positions. So it's rough. Mm-hmm. But that being said, there's exciting things about library school too. So hopefully some of the clips will share that. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Because I think often people have probably made their decision, but it's, I think, really interesting and helpful to hear what other people's thought process was to see if it kind of matches your own or if there's something that you didn't think about. Karen, you know, there's not really, there's no clips of us. We're just doing this intro. If you were going to give somebody advice um, to make the most of their time in library school, if they've decided that's what they want to do, what would you say? Um, I think the connections that you make, like with people, you'll work with them in, in group projects and you'll probably work alongside them in the future. So I think the relationships that you build and then like the work experiences that you get and the project and the way I think you complete your projects, figuring out what your strengths are is a good thing to do. Although I feel like when COVID hit and everything shut down, I was like, I made a mistake by focusing on people and paper. <laughs> but you know, who could have who could have really like foreseen that? COVID is tricky because I feel like it's really obviously affecting every part of all of our lives at the moment and it will for a long time and at the same time the people and the paper aren't going anywhere like those skills are going to be needed and I think you know like the job market is hard pretty much no matter what you want to do so I would say it's true that if you know what you're into like you know trust your gut and that passion will I think um <laughs> maybe sustain you through the challenges of it in in some ways where it's like it's going to be hard either way it might as well be hard where you will end up doing something you like mm -hmm. um, that's what you're committing to but the real advice I would give people that's like my tangent but the the advice I would give somebody is to and again I don't know what these are like right now with COVID but to do the experiential learning opportunities and really make them what you want them like um, co-op or uh, for credit, like practicum or, or uh, I forget what anything is called now, professional experience, um, stuff like that is really valuable because it's an opportunity to try out different places and see where you like working and what attracts you and what doesn't. And I certainly had the experience where by doing some of those things, I realized stuff that I thought I was going to like, I really didn't like doing and things I was, you know, a bit more ambivalent about going into library school I really liked. So for me, that was really helpful. And also when I graduated and was applying for jobs, I was leaning much more heavily on that kind of experience than on my coursework. Even though I had worked before and a lot of my work before library school has been really relevant too, 
those placements were really useful for figuring out what I wanted to do and applying for stuff afterwards. I would also add, like, don't be afraid to ask questions and, like, reach out to people in the field. Librarians and archivists are generally very eager to answer questions. And that's always a really good way to learn the profession and learn what you like. And that helps uh, shape your time in library school. That's really true. Yeah, I mean, really interesting people that way. Yeah. And I think we've talked about this before, I think, Karen, but I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast. But in addition to finding a mentor or as part of that, I think finding people who, especially if you are entering library school and you feel like the profession broadly doesn't really represent who you are in some way, like this profession is really white and a lot of women... If that's not who you are, I think finding mentors and people to work with in school and to have kind of a network of support is really important. Like for me, I know that some of the people that I was friends with were like really supportive when, yeah, when stuff would happen in school or work or whatever that was really hard (laughs) to work through. It's like, okay, well, I've got my community around me and, and that makes a big difference. I don't know if I'm being very articulate about that, but I'm being kind of vague on purpose. So there you go. I know what you're <laughs> talking people about. People who need to know what I mean know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would also say, like, while I understand the importance of understanding tradition or, like, how we got here, push back against this idea that this is how things have always been or just, like, this is how it is because... I don't know. I don't really like that. And that doesn't seem very optimistic or forward thinking to me. Here, here. Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, then (laughs) that probably fits you. (laughs) Yeah. Ask the the hard questions in class and uh, you'll notice who else is doing that and and interested in it. Work with them on group projects. Because group projects can be really hellish if you're with a group that's not wanting to engage in the same questions and ways that you want to. So, Yeah, I think you learn a lot about your own working style and other people's working style. My last advice is don't be afraid to change the program that you're in. Yes. <laughs> if it's not working for you, do what you need to do. Okay, well, let's hear what everybody else has to say, I guess. So this is Sony here with two interrelated pieces of advice for those applying or going back to library archive school, particularly during pandemic times. The first is process and product. Don't forget what brought you to library school, whether that be you pursuing a set of questions, working with a specific professor, wanting to acquire a set of skills, wanting to acquire a certain job, etc. Keep your eyes on the prize, but don't forget to enjoy the process as well. The second is webs of relationships. Create a web of mentor-mentee relationships that include your fellow classmates, also known as your future colleagues, professors, staff members, practicing information professionals, people who inspire you, etc. The people you build and work with are just as important as the work you do, both in grad school and beyond. Begin cultivating relationships with a few classmates. For example, consider creating standing study sessions, game nights, book clubs, podcasts. Shout out to the Organizing Ideas crew to create and build community.
My name is Zakir Jamal Suleiman. I'm at the uh, Masters of Library and Information Science program at the University of British Columbia, and my interests are in human-centered design and designing blockchain systems. Do you want to start with how you feel going back into school now? <laughs> um, yeah, sure. Why don't, we, why don't we start with that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel happy that I'm going back into school, and I feel that the place that I chose happens to have, well, not happened to have, I, I chose it on purpose, the kind of things that I need to feel like library school has been a positive experience in the sense of actually gaining skills and experiences and coming out with a, a different kind of skill set and engagement with the kind of things I'm, I'm hoping to do for, for a career or at least sort of wanted to do for a career coming out. Um, but like, honestly, I think that library school as a kind of construct is a bit strange for any number of reasons. And, and I think you really have to know why you're there. Like, like, like just going into it because you think that it's some kind of professional school and you're going to come out like, you know, I'm going to woodworking school to become a carpenter or something like that, or, you know, plumbing school to become a plumber or electrician isn't actually the case because the reality of, and I don't even want these jobs, but the, but the reality of, of working as a librarian is uh, one where the field itself is constantly struggling for its own legitimacy and also for its own viability as something that is ultimately a very interdisciplinary and multimodal field, right? So it's, it's this nexus of things that just all connect in the strangest ways. It's like, it's a social science, it's a social work degree mixed, but not really mixed with a, uh, sort of data science degree, but not really mixed with a sort of media studies degree, but not really, uh, you know, mixed with an English degree, but not really. Uh, and, uh, and all of these things kind of come together in a very kind of confusing way. And so I think that's one of the reasons that I've noticed people within librarianship really get ideological either about their own value in terms of like that whole like, oh, libraries and democracy or whatever, which is 100% some American bullshit, where they're constantly like at threat of being privatized and need to assert something and whatever. I get it. Makes sense. Or like, you know, libraries are some kind of great place for refugees. I've heard that one before, um, you know, uh, and really what I hear that is as is this is a confusing field. This work is confusing. It's underpaid uh, and we're constantly under threat. And so we have to try to articulate it in a way that's viable. But the problem is that ideology can then concretize and become something. Do you want to talk more about what the program has been like for you, maybe as a person going in for information studies? Yeah, sure. I mean, so I mean, I think it's worth mentioning quickly what information studies is, right? I mean, it, it it's again this weird discipline. Maybe, maybe the best way to say this is like this. So I did a philosophy degree in my undergrad, right? And philosophy used to be called the queen of the sciences. Why? Uh, because, because it was sort of commonly understood, especially in classical education, that 
philosophy was the progenitor of all of the natural sciences that we deal with today. So biology is a great example. Aristotle in, uh, I'm going to forget the name of the book, but Aristotle was one of the first people to functionally invent biological classification, right? Uh, mathematics, physics, all these things are, you know, if you go back and read, actually, just if you just read Aristotle, you would be encountering all of those things, right? Um, and in much the same way that I think of philosophy as this kind of progenitor of things that eventually spin off and become fully functional and, and actually different than what they were initially things. Um, so too, do I think that information science is a, is kind of a, a profession out of time, uh, because it really exists as a offshoot of computational theory, information theory, you know, signal theory that, you know, really, I think, hit its height in the 70s and 80s and has since become kind of concretized into something that even I don't quite fully understand. But uh, but now it's become mashed together with these these library school concepts. And so we call everyone an information professional uh, because I, I would imagine at some point my guess is that at some point uh, libraries wanted to modernize or something and just, you know, they were close enough and uh, whatever. Why I was interested in information studies was I thought I was looking at folks that I was interacting with who were doing software development. And I thought, okay, you know, this is really fascinating stuff, but what if there was a layer above you where instead of being the person who makes the thing, I can be the person that manages the making of the thing or helps explore and design and create the thing. And so I started looking around and, uh, and I found this information science stuff and yeah, I'd always been interested in like, I actually had wanted to do a communications degree in my undergrad initially, but uh, it was interesting. And then, and then I, and then I kind of had a conversation with somebody at the iSchool where I said, look, like, you know, I'm interested in maybe being in some kind of tech adjacent role can I do that here? And I was sort of explicitly told, well, you know, UBC, which is where I ended up, isn't really set up to do that. But if you make it yourself, there's basically total freedom, right? So you can make whatever you want to make happen here, right? And you're not stuck in some kind of stream or whatever. And so so there has been enough depth, I think, at the, at the, the school that I'm at to pursue that. But I will say that it has been kind of disorienting and a bit discouraging in the sense that it really is geared, the library school that I'm at, I know it's not the case for everyone. And in fact, people um, often complain about the other version of this. The library school that I'm at is uh, is really geared towards librarians, right? And, and that is to say folks who want to work within the institution of a library or other kinds of formalized institutions um, functionally structuring, administrating, maintaining, and and creating access and, and, and working with people to, you know, facilitate access to uh, that information, right? So, uh, and not to be reductive, but to, to kind of jump back to the previous metaphor, kind of like building managers for, uh, for the information stuff, right? Um, whereas what I'm interested in is more about designing those systems and seeing how you can make apps, websites, you know, different kinds of programs and things that make people's lives better, right? And, and that are actually, instead of maintaining or working within somebody else's pipeline, making my own, right? Um, and I had, there has been space to do that, I think. Do you have any advice then for someone who wants to start an MLIS 
um, for information studies? Um, know very clearly what you're there for, like very clearly, right? And and by that I mean there is this degree is a degree that is so immensely and intensely variable. And, and that's one of the strengths of it, right? It's very lateral. You can move around and do whatever. I mean, I've met folks who have, you know, been been in archives, been in libraries, been corporate, been whatever, and they move around a lot. And in fact, in a lot of the literature around, like, why you should do this degree, the books that I read before I started, that was what they pitched, was it's like, you know, we're in a modern economy now. You have a job every two years, and you switch around, and this is a perfect, perfect thing for that. And you can, you know, you're the perfect worker for the new economy, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I mean, some of that is true in the sense that, if you ever have a job and you'll be, you'll be amazing at an admin job. You'll be amazed. You never have to worry about an admin job. You never have to worry about uh, a uh, data job. If you are comfortable with some basic data cleaning and management, right? Which is not all that hard. You'll never have to worry about, um, you know, uh, doing, doing certain kinds of artwork or if you wanted to work in cultural sectors, right? It's a great opener for all of that. Um, but those are all, for me, kind of fallbacks. And so what I would say to somebody who's interested in, in doing the information science path is know, know and, and seek out videos and conversations with people who are doing things that you're interested in close enough to the place you're going to be in. So you can go and look up you know, somebody like Elon Musk was talking about X, Y, Z, but he's an engineer. He's not an information scientist, right? So you have to try to find whatever the person who is as close to whatever you're doing is. For me, it was uh, Jorge Arango and uh, the folks that wrote the uh, information architecture textbook. The I think it's Rosenfield's, uh, Rosenfield's textbook. It's called the Polar Bear Book. And reading that book was just like, oh, it all does apply. It all works. Like, like I knew this could happen, but I didn't realize there was a word for it. And I didn't realize that this was what the thing was. So yeah, seeking out those, those confirming things. And then the other thing is really doing as much as possible hands-on things that give you that confidence that you can do it and help you deal with your imposter syndrome as best you can. Because you will have it. It's inevitable. It's a switch, right? Depending on whether you're a racialized or indigenous person or black person or not queer person, um, you know, uh, you will have some of it. Uh, so just that kind of confidence in building out that identity is like, you know, I am a person who does do these things, who can do these things and who has something to contribute. And, and in fact, the experiences that I've had working with engineers, software engineers and mechanical engineers and, uh, you know, uh, kinesiologists and, and, and other folks, uh, that was a weird team, have shown me that I do have something to contribute uh, and that I do have something that is important in that environment. And it's not just being the, what often happens with people who are non-technical in technical spaces is you just like, well, I'm the dumb one. I'm the eggplant who knows how to analyze literature or whatever. And uh, no, you actually have some really important things to contribute. Hi, this is Victoria, a recent uh, graduate from the iSchool at UBC from May 2020. My advice to people back in school is to really be gentle with yourself, to uh, acknowledge this is going to be a lot of work because it's grad school, but also that you are about to go through a very short program relatively and then enter the workforce. So you want to make sure you enter strong. 
And the way to do that is, uh, in my opinion, to, you know, not take full course loads. I know this like feels you have to do all of the courses all the time and you have to take all the opportunities and also do all of the readings. And while we should always aim for that, I suppose, I think it's completely fair and valid to not give 100% of your effort 100% of the time, but maybe to try and give, I don't know, just 75% 100 of the time, you know? Don't take a full course load. Skim the readings if you have to. Make time to sleep. It's hugely important. So be nice. Part two of my advice, besides just being kind to yourself and taking care of yourself, is to also um, accept that you should maybe take a variety of things. I know that this gets told to you a lot in library school and in archival school too, probably, um, that, you know, you should take a wide variety of courses. I would second it, but I would also say, you know, things are going to be hard and there are certain type courses, for example, that are harder than others, but it might be worth trying to take one because you're going to find that like it unlocks a whole new set of skills for you and might be a gateway to something else that you weren't really expecting, Uh, not only in courses in school, but also in your career. Also talk to your profs all the time, even though they're stressed and you're stressed. If you talk together, you will be able to find a way to find a compromise and make your way through. This has been my lifesaver. And hold each other accountable. Study with your friends. It's going to actually help you do the actual studying. Thanks to everybody who submitted clips. They were super insightful and awesome. And we're really glad to have your voices on the pod. If folks want to reach us, Karen, where do they find uh, our little podcast on the internet? We are on Twitter, sometimes active, sometimes kind of just lurking at Organizing Pod, organizing with a Z and not an S. What's our email, Allison? Our email is organizingideaspod at gmail.com. That's where you should email us if you have a great idea for an episode or you want to be a guest. And our website is organizingideaspod.wordpress.com. And you can find uh, links to stuff we mentioned in the podcast today, transcripts for the episode, uh, all our past episodes, and funny pictures of Karen and I. (laughs) We'll see you in a couple of weeks, folks. Bye. Bye. Thank you.